I'm Adrian Sykes. Welcome to Did You Know? The podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the executives of colour who have led the way in the UK music business. In this episode, we're joined by Whitney Boateng, live agent at WME. Whitney shares her thoughts on empowering and supporting the next generation, balancing life in a hectic world whilst being a working mother, and talking about those people that have always had her back. In a world that doesn't really, you know, strive to put black women on, Zion is the opposite. Like, anything I've ever needed to this day, I could call Zion. However, as always, we started by asking Whitney why she chose a career in the music business. It was a little bit of an accident, if I'm honest. I'm like a student of the music industry because I have two elder brothers who are in music. I won't expose the age difference, but it was enough for me to feel like the child of <laughs> music. Um, I went to uni and I studied youth work and I had no idea that I would end up with a music job. I wanted to do something a bit more vocational as I was growing, actually, because I felt like I wanted to make a difference um, and I didn't really necessarily know how. Um, But, yeah, it's a really roundabout way of saying that. I ended up doing an internship at Renowned Management, a management company run by Zion Richards. At the time I joined... We had Wretch 3-2, George the Poet, Jacob Banks, Knox Brown and a singer-songwriter called Jada. And his lovely wife had just had a baby and she was his right hand and they needed some help. And I worked at Waitrose at the time and I just offered up some help. To be honest, I just did it as a fan. I really loved Wretch and I just thought this is a great way to go to like stuff that he does without looking crazy and also getting to learn (laughs) some industry knowledge. So it was great. And then that's where I started. And um, I guess it kind of just progressed from there, but I didn't have a music industry. I didn't feel like I had a purpose here. It just kind of happened. That starts great, but let's go back a little bit further. because I'm always interested in, in what the... Boateng household would have been like as you growing up. What was the music you guys and the older brothers that we that we know well were, were vibing to? What were the things that were getting you excited about music when you were growing up? Do you know what? I still really love R&B. I remember Alec listening to a lot of music, Soul Child. There's a, a lovely Raphael Sadiq song called Rifle Love that I love a lot because my brother used to play it in the house. Obviously heard a lot of Garage in my house as well, a lot of So Solid, you know. Also, we're from East London, so a lot of the Roll Deep, the Dizzy Rascals, the Wileys, you know, the Rough Squads. Love that. It was very <laughs> exciting for yeah. me, you know, being from there, also knowing that I had older siblings that knew all these people. I thought I was cool, so my household was great. <laughs> and my dad had a lot of, like, tapes and CDs and, you know, right. like, the standard, like, every black house had the, 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 the layered CD tape yeah. player and all that. So I had that as well. And... Um, yeah, it was a great upbringing. It was a great household for it. And, you know, you talk about 
the move really into education, looking for a vocation in youth work, was that something that was an inspiring factor as you grew up? Or was it just something that you felt that you had to do because there was, there was no other option? I mean, what drew you to that? Because obviously education amongst all black families of a particular generation, particular type is a really big thing, right? Yeah, I'll be very candidly honest. I, I had a really mixed A-level result. I didn't get the, the results I needed. I got like really good in two subjects and really bad in two subjects. So like it was kind of like a scramble of what is left during clearing. And also I have also had an affinity to kids and I studied sociology and psychology and I thought, okay, you know, I want to use what I'm good at and try and change lives. And I also was trying to be rebellious. That's me. And I just thought, we've got enough music people in this house. Like, let me go and do something that's not music, really. That was it. I didn't really have... I didn't ever grow up thinking I was going to be a social worker. But then I thought, you know what? Let me put my studies to good use. As well as the fact that it was one of the only things that I looked at that I liked in the clearing process. So it was an amalgamation of things. I was like, okay... And yeah, I just wanted to stay clear from music because I thought like we have enough people that do music in the family. And also I was very conscious of it just looking like, oh yeah, she's just following her brothers or she just got a job from her brothers. Now as I've grown older, I'm like, yeah, actually you should be using nepotism to get your foot in the door. Because actually, as I've studied the industry, enough people are here because of nepotism. So it wasn't anything to be ashamed of. But I also love my journey, like, semi without it. But if I could go back, I would have definitely gone harder and used nepotism a lot more. I came through because I knew somebody. There was somebody that I met along the way that helped me on my journeys. And as we all know, I mean, there's all that saying in our business, it's, it's not what you know, but it's who you know. So were there any influential figures, apart of, as long with the obvious ones, that kind of helped you and pointed you along the way when you were starting out, kind of, you know, making that first entry through through Renowned and with those guys? Honestly, it, it's, it's always and still is Zion Richards. Um, I can't even shout loud enough about Zion. In a world that doesn't really, you know, strive to put black women on, Zion is the opposite like anything I've ever needed to this day I could call Zion he was so instrumental in helping me learn you know the business who I am he was patient caring kind uh, more than a boss you know a brother someone like I said I could still call today um there were so many people I don't even want to name names obviously my brothers living under the same roof and just the influence they had on me. Let's shout them out. Shout them out because these people need to be known about because they're the ones that are providing the pathway and kind of holding out that hand for for the next generation that are coming through like yourself. So they should be celebrated. Um, Alec and Alex helped me. Yep. Zeon, you know, I spent my, my first real music job was with Zeon and I didn't know anything. I made so many mistakes, you know, on simple things and he was just patient had great advice and there are you know it's so weird I don't go a whole segment about Zion but someone randomly I can't remember who it was had tweeted how kind Zion has been to them and there was a flood of people coming with stories men and women like, oh Zion helped me do this he helped me do this he helped me do this and I just thought this is like a testament to his character genuinely has been super helpful and I started 
working with him in 2014 and we're in 2023 and the first person I call and I have a problem is genuinely Zion because you always have a level-headed response and will strive to um, help me, which has helped me shape who I am in terms of wanting to help others, especially as a black woman, um, just help others underneath me to the left and the right of me. He really showed me the importance of that. So that's my champion. Listen, let's big him up because Zion's someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing for 10, 12 years now. And he has a such a wonderful humility. He's always is there at the end of a phone, happy to have a conversation, and is generally one of the good guys in our business, you know, from our culture. And it's great that that relationship you have with him continues to this to this very day and goes beyond it because obviously there is that longevity in it. So it's great that he's recognised and should be. So as a black woman in our business, and we kind of coming through at renowned. How did? you look back and see the business reflecting back at you of people that look like you who were there were, were there any women out there that you kind of looked to and thought that's my inspiration that's where I want to get to they're the people I can kind of pick up a phone and call yes actually there were a few Jackie Davidson was one I remember thinking she's so cool like she was a mum which you know I'm a mum as well she was a mum and I hadn't met loads of other mums um, in the industry. You know, she managed Wayne Hector, who was writing for Westlife. We don't get in those type of rooms. There have been loads across the journey. You know, uh, Negla Abdella, who worked at Ireland with my brother, she was great. Um, Rada Meda was great. You know, one of my, some of even my peers, you know. Um, there's Tania Taylor, who works at KISS. Bianca Wilson, who's now managing... LMA um there were just there were just so many like I I was blessed to look to my left and right you know there's Jackie a UA that works at Def Jam um I always looked at her journey and yeah I mean if I'm thinking about elders like Jackie Davidson really strikes for me because she was someone that I remember clearly thinking like this woman is a G she was just telling me you know about spending time with her daughter and that was more interesting to me than what she had done career-wise, because actually I felt in the industry looking around that it just wasn't attainable to be a mum and have such a strong job in the industry because, you know, like, I heard murmurs about people feeling like when they left from maternity and came back, there wouldn't be a job there or, you know, certain things. And she just created her own lane and she'd made such a path for herself. But there are so many women that have contributed and still do contribute to my journey that I've probably forgotten to mention. But she striked me when I met her many moons ago as someone that I could look up to, as someone that you wanted to emulate. And you had that journey through Renan. How long were you there for? And what did you learn during your time? And what do you take from it? So I was there for two years, which is quite a short time, but felt like a really long time. I learned a lot from Zion and also the late Richard Antwi, who was like another, basically a boiteng with us. I just learned a lot about the business from listening. There was a lot of times where a lot of people probably wondered why I was in the room because I didn't actually contribute much. But that's another reason why I respect Zion so much, because getting into the rooms just to listen is sometimes even more important than talking. Um, the main thing I learned from that experience is I, 
didn't want to do management. I find that to be a blessing that I was finding out what I didn't want to do because it was leading me towards what I wanted to do. And that wasn't, um, it, it's not remnant of working at Renowned. It wasn't because any of the acts or anything made me feel like I hated management. But I just knew the type of person that I was. I'm not a twenty. I don't aspire to be a 24-hour person. I'm not that person. Don't expect me to be on all day and all night. I don't have the I don't have the capacity, nor did I have the will. And I think for management, you need to have the will to be on for everything. And I learned very quickly that I, that's not who I am. I learned that at Renowned whilst working. So you you kind of go, you know what? Management isn't for me. And as a manager, I completely understand and respect that. Your career <laughs> journey in the live sector. How did that start? Again, I have to take this back to the twins because I loved concerts and festivals. I loved them. And I, I was about eight or nine. And one of like my fondest memories is going to this festival in Finsbury Park. It, now I look back, I'm like, you really enjoyed. Because at the time, you don't even think about how good this is. But it's, it had, like, Destiny's Child. I'm sure Cisco was there. Who else was there? Like, it was a proper festival at Visby Park. I don't think I'd seen Destiny's Child life, live in my lifetime. I feel like a legend for that alone. <laughs> but my brother took me. And I remember being on his shoulders and it was just, it was it was so great. It was like a lot of black acts. I'm going to Google what that festival was called at some point because I don't remember it. But I loved concerts and festivals. I went to see Kanye West by myself when I was 16 in the Glow in the Dark tour. Um, I've travelled across the world and it just, it was just a hobby for me. I had no idea what anything went into doing shows until I worked for Renowned. So again, that taught me so many different parts of the industry that I didn't know. So I learned the difference between, you know, label, PR, agent, you know, who your A&R is, like all different parts. So management, you're blessed to see everything. You, you get to see all, you know, you go to planning meetings and you're sitting in with all these people. So for people who don't know what planning meetings are, there'll be a meeting with nearly everyone who's, an artist team behind them from the label to the agency, you know, maybe your radio plugger, everything. And, you know, working at Renowned, as well as my love for live, I started to learn via, like, wretched shows and agents and then meeting Trevor, who's his tour manager, like, different parts of live. And I thought it was really interesting. And again, I won't say it was an accident, it was just the luck and God's blessing that I... And it was such a hard time because I, I, I knew I wanted to leave Renown, but I didn't want to leave Zion. You know, he was like my brother and we'd worked so closely together. So it was a battle. I didn't want to leave, but I also knew I didn't like the job. And also I was thinking ahead. I knew I wanted to have kids. So I always bring it back to being like a maternal, like a mum. I wanted to have kids. And it just didn't feel practical for me. Even after speaking to Jackie and watching her do it, I was like, I don't know if I'm the person that can juggle. So I would like a job that I enjoy that actually allows me time in my evenings. I could switch off, pays me well, because I, I need to pay bills and music that doesn't, doesn't pay very well. Amen. And I, <laughs> I went to this agency called Arts and Music. 
met this lady called Jenny and she put me forward for all these jobs. One at Warner, maternity cover, at Ministry of Sound. I was looking. I hadn't even told Dion that I was doing this. I was just looking. And then she got me a interview at an agency called... It's now called Wasserman, but at the time was called Coda. Coda, yeah. And I got an assistant job there. And that was the start of my live journey. And um, I got to work at an agency, then then learning that on the other side of agencies, a promoter and, you know, you start learning other bits. And I'm just like, oh, wow, there's loads of stuff going on here. So now I'm talking to people in Amsterdam that work at Live Nation and, you know, in America that work at AEG and you're, you're learning different parts of the business. And um, that was my first entry point into live What's really interesting, obviously, you and I know this business. We're, we we know how it works. It'd be really interesting, interesting for you to kind of give the listener an insight into what a live agent's role is, how it interacts with the artists and the role you play in their journey. Because as we both know it's changed materially over the past four or five years, probably exponentially more so in those in that period than any time before. So it'd be really great for you to kind of lay out your day or how you work or what your role is. Sure. So like to put it very simply, I would say that your agent is your middleman between your promoter, who will be the person that will foot your show financially and put it on, and yourself. So as an agent, I'm like the middleman. So I will talk to the promoter, ask them, you know, if they're interested in certain acts. Sometimes they come to me for my roster and we plan alongside them, you know, your shows, your festival appearances, your concert tours, sometimes private, corporate, um, and we discuss fees, your rider, your touring party. So basically, we will work for the manager to make sure that the artist... We'll work for the manager and artist, work for the team to make sure that the artist show goes as smoothly as possible. And then we will go back to the artist and let them know, you know, the details of the show, the finances, you know, how many hotel rooms they may have, where it is, how long the set is, ETC. So we work as the middleman between the artist that wants to perform and the promoter that wants to book the artist. I think the other thing that's really important is some, something that, you know, you and I both know is the fact that the, the live agent is an integral part of of any campaign for an album, single, whatever it is, for, you know, for an artist, depending on where they are in their career. More so now than ever. What's your involvement at that level? When do you start talking to, to the artist that you're working with about getting involved in the campaign, where the live plot sits in a particular point in time? Um, you know, I can use Stormzy as an example, who is my client. This is actually, admittedly, I think Stormzy's was the first album campaign I've ever worked on in the capacity of live music um, as an agent. And it went number one, so big him up. But um, 100. Yeah. <laughs> so for Stormzy, we wanted to do something live-wise that we could use to incorporate um, ticket sales and album sales, if that makes sense. So if, I'll tell you exactly what we've done. You know, Stormzy and Murky are a great team. They're full of creatives. They always want to move the needle when it comes to what they can and can't do. So his album was coming out in November and 
he was blessed enough to do three O twos last year. And, you know, as when you get to a certain level, it's really hard to know where you're going to go next. So sometimes I think it's sometimes a bit more challenging even when you're higher up for life because there's only so much you can do and they always want to break barriers. So we were kind of discussing what we could do live-wise to... To, to get some album sales, basically, as well as doing something really cool for the fans that they'll enjoy, that they actually get to come and listen to the album at. A lot of people do um, banquet shows, which Storms also did. And a banquet show is usually, like, in Kingston, when they come, you buy an album, and when you buy the album, you get a ticket to see Storms do a live performance. And this year we were lucky enough to have All Points East, which is a festival promoted by AEG, um, offer Storms a headline. But it wasn't just a headline. We're actually curating it from top to bottom. And if you pre-ordered the album, you then got a code to buy an early access ticket to This Is What We Mean Day, which is happening in August. So... That was my first rodeo, being involved with label and, you know, promoter and team to try and do something live to help an album campaign. And it was great. And um, it was a great learning experience. Obviously, the album went to number one. He plays out his banqueting shows. And this is what we mean, Day. We are still curating and get and working on in, for August, and it's going to be great. Which is a great example of how it how it works. Let's go back a minute. You're at Coda. It's your first foray into that world of live. What's next for you? What point do you think? Okay, I'm learning. I'm learning here. I'm seeing what's going on. I need to. I need to make the move. It's funny. Like, I I ne- I didn't plan to leave and go into something else. But as I was talking to promoters I was getting to know them anyone that knows me knows I've got the gift of the gap so I I make friends with everyone I make friends with people on the train so I'd gotten to know a young promoter called Kian Islami who I have to big up 10 times but I'm sure we'll get to him who worked at Metropolis which is a subsidiary of Live Nation Europe and you know I met him and his boss my former boss Ray Cosbert is an absolute legend gentleman absolute gentleman and legend and um they had a junior promoter job going and one thing about me I think I can do everything even if I can't do it I'm gonna try so (laughs) we had a conversation we had multiple conversations you know and one thing I'll never forget Ray asked me such a he asked me such a Ray question if you know Ray but it's something that should have thrown me off but didn't I'm from Ghana and in my interview, he asked me where I would put Daddy Lomba, who is a very big Ghanaian artist. He's like our, oh, I don't even know, he's like our Jay-Z. And I just found it funny. So it's like, if you were promoting a Daddy Lomba show, where would you put him? I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, I'd put him in Troxy, because Ghanaians know that venue. We've done Ghana Independence there loads of times. He's seated, standing, perfect, great number. And I hope he was impressed he looked it. But I, you know when you're in a interview and you just know there and then that you've kind of smashed it a little bit (laughs) I was quite proud of myself at that point and um, yeah I went on after about 11 I didn't stay very long at CODA I went on after 11 months to Metropolis Live Nation where I stayed for four years so (laughs) that was a long time 
as a formative experience, work experience for you, what did that give to you and what what did you take from that? From Coda? Yeah, yeah, no, from from Metropolis, your time at Metropolis with with those guys. Oh, it was uh it was great actually. I was stuttering a bit because there were so many moving parts of the four years. Um I went in again not really knowing how to do the job and I learned I was learning on the job got really cool experiences, also got pregnant after like nine months or so, which um, obviously was great. But actually, Ray, one thing I remember is how endearing Ray was during that time. Um, you're, I was just scared to even tell him that I was pregnant. It's great news, of course, but you imagine starting a job, it's not even been a year, and you're like, yeah, I've got to go for a year, I'll be back. <laughs> but... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But he was really supportive. But um, it was a great time. I managed to be involved in some really cool projects, shows, festivals. And I got to meet, again, I got to meet some really cool people in live. And um, I really appreciated my time there. It was a really, you know, for me to stay there four years, for me, that's a really long time. Um, But it flew. I had a great team was involved in some great projects and I feel like I learned a lot about like the live industry mainly there that's where I learned the bulk of live I think I want to return to your to your career but there's there's a few things that have kind of you thrown at me that I really want to kind of explore in here in the conversation and the one thing that I'm really interested to talk to you about is this thing about motherhood in 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 the music business? Because I've been lucky enough to talk to some incredible women on this podcast, and you know, I think you are probably only one of two that have actually said to me, of of or have talked of their experience of of being a mo- a young mother or an expectant mother in the business, and wondering what it what it looks like. And one of the things you said then was that you're really scared about telling Ray that you were pregnant at that particular point in time, which Given that we're in the 21st century, I find startling and, and you know really disappointing that we've got not addressed that. Why do you think that is? And do you think that is something that the majority of other women feel that are going through a, a similar situation when ex- expecting a child and having to tell their, their bosses? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I, I was just scared mainly because I was new. I knew straight away that Ray would be supportive because he had been nothing but supportive since I'd got there and still is supportive really now. Um, But that was scarier than telling my mum. It's going to sound really exaggerated, but I I was scared that maybe my career would end. You know, I didn't have, and that's not because there aren't any, but I didn't have many examples. So I didn't know many women who had had children and had gone on to be successful. Again, it didn't mean they didn't exist. I just didn't know any. So I didn't have many women to kind of ask, how did you find this journey? How do you tell your boss? There wasn't much talk of it. And it's again, it's not because it doesn't happen. There are many women in the industry now with kids. I just didn't know them. They weren't visible to me. I had Jackie. But I think when I worked at Metropolis and I was pregnant, she wasn't in my peripheral because I hadn't seen her or spoken to her in a long time. And yeah, I just, I I mean, I can't speak for other women, but for me, I just felt like, were they going to take me back after? I know that it's illegal not to, but your brain just starts running 
wild in something that's obviously a very joyous and happy moment you just start panicking and actually I think I thank God for my experience at Metropolis because now if I was to go again I'm not scared I'm like okay you're safe you've done it and you didn't die you kept your job everyone was super supportive um but yeah it was daunting and I can't really tell you why because again I hadn't been through the experience or hadn't spoken to anyone who had been through it. So that's when I kind of realised that visibility for everything is important because as, as I personally don't understand things that I don't see, that, but that's a me thing, that's a Whitney thing. So sometimes I want to see things and see the success of it to understand it. And I hadn't seen it in live you know, I just, I hadn't seen it. There's barely any women here in the first place. And then I hadn't seen one that was a mum. And again, I just started my job. So there were loads of factors, but I was definitely nervous. And now I look back, I probably had no reason to be, as a company, Live Nation were great with their maternity policy. Ray as a boss was amazing. But I also know that that might not be everyone else's experience and it very well could have not been mine. So you just go in not knowing how it's going to, end up so you talk about that visibility and being able to see things having gone through that experience now that you're at the other side of it you're you're a mother you have a successful career how visible do you try and make yourself to other young women that are coming through that maybe want to kind of take that you know take some experience or some knowledge from you or sit and not be a mentor not not mentor them but want to hear your story to kind of help them on the way because you say if you see it you can be it right Mm -hmm. it's so funny I say that like I'm very vocal about being a mum I always mention it I talk about it Um, I don't put my son up anywhere because I think the internet is crass so you won't see a picture of him But I am very vocal about being a mum. It's my badge. I wear it. I also don't sit here and talk about motherhood like it's some easy-peasy thing as well because I don't want to sell anybody a dream. I'm very lucky. My mum is retired. Um, I have a very good support system, so I don't want to trick anybody into anything. I'm blessed in that I have a lot of support from yeah my his paternal grandma his dad my mum and my community saves me but I didn't know that until I did it that I would have a community that would save me or you know there's still so many things now about motherhood that I don't know I'm learning you know I've had shows that I need to cover and they tell me like hours before and I've got to figure out where my kid is going you know it's not like the easiest thing but I I, I do talk about it and I I talk about it on purpose because I do want people to know that you know it's definitely challenging but it can be done and if there's any advice I can give I'm quite honest person so I will always tell the honesty the honest truth of how I find motherhood being in such a demanding job and I also will be open and say I'm not superwoman I, I don't Like, Isaiah has a lot of parents, the way I see it. He's got me and everyone else that pours into him, that save me and save him. And I'm very aware that not everybody has that. I'll talk about all the levels of motherhood with anyone who ever wants to listen. And I make sure that people know that I'm a mum, so that if they want to talk about 
how I found it, how I did it, how I'm doing it. I will talk about it. I'm not shy of that. Speaking of that and moving on, gender, being a minority in our business and being a mother, I mean, do you think that that's had an effect on your career in any way at all? Do you think, you know, it's helped you, held you back in any way? Do you think there are any defining factors from any of those three elements? Um, I think I'm very blessed. Um, I keep saying that because, honestly, I genuinely feel like in all walks of my life, God has really navigated these things for me. Sometimes being black and a woman and a mum is a hindrance, and I just think that the reality of it is that I feel like black women tend to be at the bottom of the chain, so you really have to fight in whatever you do, wherever you go. And um, But at the same time, I will not lie, being black and, you know, being visible, I think, has helped me. You know, my, my current boss, Lucy Dickens, who is incredible. If you guys don't know her, you should research her. She is a stellar lady. Um, she, we, I didn't know her when she called me. She called me cold. You know, she might have heard about me somewhere or maybe saw me and um, called me. And I think, you know, a part of that is to do... Because in 2020, when all the George Floyd stuff happened, I was quite... I was, I was going through a weird period of being quite vocal and quite visible. And I'm not a very visible person. I try not to be because I just... I don't really love visibility, but... Um, it helped me. And I think part of talking about my black experience and being visible helped Lucy see me. Um, so it had pros and cons. It's really funny because that's exactly where I was going next. I mean, you talked about being black women, being bottom of the chain, visibility, and sometimes a lack of, but speaking out, helping to raise you up and for, for people to see you. I mean, you've been a part of the Black Music Coalition as part of that kind of talking talking shop, that body for for a, for a minute. For those that don't know about the BMC, can you explain what the Black Music Coalition is and what you're trying to achieve? Yes, so the Black Music Coalition is headed up by Cheryl, Shah, Afriye and Kamali, um, who are also other amazing black women in the music industry. And I guess at the time that George Floyd was killed and we watched it, I just felt pain. I feel like everybody felt pain and it was like a pain that only other black people would understand. And I feel like only we could kind of guide ourselves through. Now, I'm... I don't see myself, or especially at that time, I didn't see myself as somebody in the industry who was senior enough or even really understood the ins and outs of things enough to create the body that I wanted to see. So I remember kind of starting a group chat with the ladies mentioned and just saying, like, guys, just feel free to add other black executives. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. Let's talk. Let's have a, a space to speak and also... Let's maybe continue having this space to speak. You know, it, it led to other conversations about equality, equity um, and just things within the music industry that we wanted to see change for and that we could help each other left to right change as well as bottom up. And yeah, the, the great work is still being done. 
bodies like that are important for us. It's still very new, I think, being black and vocal and visible in the music industry. So we have to support each other where we can. And how do you think the Black Music Coalition has been received by the entities above it? I mean, dealing with those in the boardroom, trying to effect change. How has that been for you is the first question. And secondly, what victories do you think that you've had since your inception? I think it was a such a, I hate saying the word blessing because it came from something so horrible. But I think the time in which the BMC formed, we people were listening or appeared to be listening anyway. And we had the ears of, you know, the labels and the, the buildings and the people that actually wanted to learn and listen and go about making change. You know, the BMC has gone on to win awards for the work that they've done because and they've also put on exhibitions, you know, that also talk to the work that they've been doing. It was challenging at the start, but it's gone on to be great. There are people that have bought resources from the BMC. They create resources to teach. I think education is really important. And I'm big up the ladies that I just mentioned for continually doing the work and continually fighting to give education where needed. When you talk about it, what does change look like to you? It's not just one thing. It's, I mean, but what do you see as those things that you really would kind of look at and go, that's a big win for for the BMC, but was black people or people of colour more generally in, in the business that, that we're in? Um, I think once I see more black people in, like, senior positions, VPs, SVPs, you know, entry level, we're, we're always, you know, there and we're, you know, helping the cogs turn. But I think it goes back to my point about visibility. I want to see visibly, I want to see more presidents, I want to see more women at the top. I want to see the growth so that I know that it's actually happening. You know, here in my building, one important thing for me is to see that the ladies underneath me, because we have loads of amazing black female assistants here, I want to see them in their offices before I even think about leaving or moving on or my SVP or whatever title that, I may, I may get God willing, because I think if you can't pay things forward, there's no point. So we are all, I believe that everyone in the BMC is blessed and fortunate enough to have a good job and a good position. Great. How do we help the next gen? How do we help the ones who are left and right that are trying to climb up that can't, you know, when they're having a bad day or there are things going wrong and they feel like there are no, there's no body to turn to, how do we wrap our arms around them and make them feel less alone. For people that don't know, how do they access that system? Because, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that are either looking on the outside in trying to go, you know, I'd love to be a part of this business. And others that may just need, want that help. I mean, how do they access that? Point them to where they should go. The first thing I would do is new age. I would take at the Black Music Coalition Instagram and website um, I know there are memberships on there and also you'll see a lot more about what the BMC do and who's involved via their platforms, our platforms even. And, you know, you've been in this business a minute now. How different does it look now than when you started in terms of people of colour and women of colour in this business? Um, it's about 20% better, 
I've always known of black people working in the music industry. But are they, you know, I want to see black people at the top in the rooms. I don't want to I don't want to keep seeing entry level black industry people. We've been that. I've seen that, you know. Um and I'm we're starting to see it, you know, we've got Ricky and Glenn as presidents of a label now. We had Darkest and I, I I thought Darkest was so cool. He was a hero to me because he was the black president that I could see that was accessible, that was visible, that did legendary stuff. I want more of that across the board, you know. There's Lunik, Shane and Daniel over at Dream Life, the twins obviously over at 0207 Def Jam. But I'm saying a lot of men still you know, what about the women? I know higher up, I'm thinking about Shani Gonzalez at Warner Chapel. Um, we have Amber Davis, you know, and then I and then I kind of go, okay, where else? And that, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't any other black women, but I don't see enough in my, like, tunnel vision. I don't see enough in these rooms, in these conversations as I'm talking about presidents. I'm, I'm not seeing enough. I want to see diversity in gender as well, not just diversity in the colour. Because when we when we often partake in these fights, you know, it's a black men that benefit the most. Black women, in my opinion, are still not getting enough seats at the table. So how do we change that? Because you know, I have to say one of the things that I've been I've been really happy to see is a major influx of black women in this business that are now looking at being in rooms where they can they can be influential. But like you, I completely agree there is a way to go. We want those great black women of, of talent running corporations, having a voice, really steering the ship. How do we do that? What do we need to do to make that happen? Honestly, I think more black men need to support black women. I do. I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, the sisters and how strong black women are, whatever. Like, put, let's start putting it into action. When you're, And this is why, I, again, I keep shouting out Zion. Zion took me into rooms where I had no business being in. I had no business being in some of the rooms that Zion took me into. But you know what? It was just as simple as taking me there and letting me sit there and be invisible that... I was able to talk to people, build relationships, ETC. Start doing that for the women to the left and right of you, the men, the black men with power. Start actually empowering the women. Don't just say it because it's like a cute exercise. You have a job going that, you know, you know a good black woman that can do it. Let her do it. Recommend her. Take her to the meetings. You know, speak life into her inside, in front of her and outside, you know, like... The actions, the doing words, because I think we talk a lot about, you know, how great black women are and how strong they are and stuff. But I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing enough action behind it. And there are loads of black men that do um, do it. So I'm, I'm not trying to paint everybody with a brush. And it is great that we have that. But we need more. And I think even the reason that some of the needle has been moved is because as well as the black women fighting for themselves, there were also black men doing it behind them like let's get behind each other and push so that we can all I think there's room for everybody let's get behind each other and push let's all win like I genuinely think that black men have such they've got such a power 
that, you know, they might not even see. Like, being black is cool, it's currency. And we should be using that to elevate ourselves and each other. I want to get back to you and your career in, one, in a minute, but someone said something to me some months ago that they feel that black executives sometimes undervalue themselves in the room because they're fearful of losing their jobs or um, they don't believe they don't believe do you think that's the case yeah I do I think that that's definitely a factor I do think that's a factor it's hard I mean we're still the minority in a lot of these rooms so you know I'm not expecting anyone to go and start jumping on tables because everybody's got bills to pay but um you know where it can be done you know small movements add to the marathon like small steps small jogs you know like slower runs faster jogs and then we're there you know no, I hear that. So let's let's get back to talking about you and where you are now and your career and you know what's what's in store. So tell us about Whitney Burting, twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty three. Well, I mean, I'm at WME, which is a great company, um, a great talent agency. There's loads of different companies under the Endeavour umbrella, including WME. So I just feel like working here, I've been able to gain access to so many different things that I wouldn't have been able to. 2023, I'm just focusing on my roster, trying to make sure they have a great 2023 live-wise and eventually growing it. Um, Loads of people come to me about my roster and, um, you know, how to join it and the honest truth is I'm still learning, so I don't want to run before I finish walking. I've not been here even two years, and there's about seven different companies under the one umbrella, plus we have four different offices around the world. Um, you know, sometimes people are asking me questions about artists on my roster, and I don't even know they're signed to WME. The company <laughs> is so big. I'm like, are they one of ours? Are they one of ours? Are they one of ours? So, um My 2023 is dedicated to learning. I'm continually learning. Like, I'm I'm always, like, I always feel like the fool in the room and that's not really an insult um, to myself. It's just, like, I just want to learn and do right by the people who have trusted me to be here. And when you kind of look to your future, where do you want to be? What's the goal for, for you in terms of your career? Um, as I mentioned, I love live. Um, it's a really big part of me. I love music, but I love live music. I love the connection to artists. Um, I've always wanted to be here and I didn't know I'd end up here and I'm here. Um, my future for me, I really want to stay and build myself as a notable agent who just works hard, does a good job and is kind to people I want to grow within the rankings of this company because I think there's opportunity to do so. And again, um, it's an open door. I'm at the moment, currently, I think the only black woman in the music department here in London. And um, 
that's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. I want to see more people of colour and the company want to see more people of colour too. You know, again, um, WME have been a company that has been able to like put their money where their mouths are. They want to expand. Live is quite an old white man's business and there's nothing wrong with that, but the world isn't that so we're trying to reflect the world and I want to be a part of that change here for the young girls like I said that are here that want to be agents the ones that are outside of the building yeah I want to be here I want to grow here I want to stay in this side of music to help change even if I'm like not a great agent by the end of it but I've stayed here and managed to nurture four or three other great black agents just by having the experience and being able to share the gems with them like I said for me the visibility again it was like the mum thing I didn't know many I didn't know any other black women that were agents I've now met Hannah Shogbola at UTA and Aisha at UTA as well who um, are black and yeah it's still a handful So if I can stay here and help that change, I would even stay here and just help that. You're really mindful of the fact that, you know, you want to have, you want to be that person to to kind of show change and show show the way forward. Do you consider yourself a role model? No. Why not? I hate that because then I feel like people are watching me (laughs) and I am a lot of things. Like I said, I'm a learner. And if people don't mind having a role model who hasn't got it all together figured out, then I am absolutely open for that. But sometimes I feel like once you say role model, they're expecting Princess Diana and I'm a bit more like Ice Spice at the moment. (laughs) I'm still working my way to Princess Di. So if they're happy to work with me on the journey. But aside from, you know, wanting to be a role model, all jokes aside, like I do want younger women to, you know, feel free to talk to me. I've I've started a charity with my best friend, Bianca, called Bold Women Win Big. And um, we had to pause a little bit on it because of COVID. But the whole thing of that was just to pay it forward for young women of colour. We both managed to find our feet in the industry. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because... Bianca's probably the only person I know in life that applied for a music job at Universal online and got it. Like, yeah. I don't know anybody else but her that's done that. <laughs> Everyone else knew somebody who knew somebody or went through some sort of agency or something, but she just applied online and got it. And I think I fought so hard against my brothers being my brothers. I tried to build my own path you know, that naturally was always going to help me because the people that I knew, you know, I wasn't even nosy on if it wasn't for my brother. So nepotism definitely had a part to play. But the whole reason we wanted to do that was because we recognised that if you're just a young black woman, the chances of getting into the industry without knowing anybody is slim pickings. And I've met some amazing young women just from some of the events that we've done that I always say to you, like, you know... I need to get better at replying, but I tell them to, I give them my number even. I'm like, call me, text me, message me on Instagram, 
Um, I need to get better at living my raps and actually like meeting up with these girls and giving them time. But life sometimes beats my ass, so I try. <laughs> but the intent is there. I really do want us to help the younger women because if you don't know people, I don't think it's fair that. I even thought the Universal website was a placebo because I used to apply for jobs myself. <laughs> and you wouldn't hear nothing back. You wouldn't even get an email to say you didn't get the job. It was just like, after the long, big application, they won't even get back to you. And I don't I don't want young music um, aspiring ex- executives to have to think that they can't get a job in music without knowing people. Well, you will know people. It will be me... And Bianca and who else, whoever else we can expand our network to. We want them to know people. So in that case, I am happy to, you know, class myself as a role model or pe- someone that people can reach out, young black women and women of colour can reach out to because it's cold out here. It's it's very hard. It's cold. Um, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without some of the women and men that helped me. So that's important that I get to do it back. And if you were given a bit of advice to a young woman that kind of sat in front of you uh, trying to enter into this business of music, what would it be? Talk to people. It's such a simple, like, advice that probably sounds cliche. And again, I know that it's easier for me to say because I had a little bit of a jump start because I, I came from a musical family. But honestly, there are still so many people that I didn't know that I just spoke to. At, to this day, someone said to me the other day they didn't even know that my brothers were my siblings. It's it's like not a secret, obviously, but I don't... It's not it's not my first talking point. Um, but a lot of the things I got is because I just spoke to people. And um, your network really is your net worth in music. Don't bug people. Don't start spamming people and you know whatever but just talk to people be honest be yourself you know hi I'm blah 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 I've seen your journey I really want to learn do you have 10 minutes or can I take an email or something just to pick your brain or you know can you introduce me to or you know be very polite be very you know forthcoming but also just talk to people go to these events that you see you know Kwame runs um a great seminar every year called the ultimate seminar there's not even just that there are loads of events of people speaking on panels where you can go and network and meet people and if you're coming into the industry and you don't know anybody these are the perfect places to go talk to people let them know about you get to know them find out things and try and build relationships they 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 will carry you very far my relationships carried me so far they're still carrying me and you know what I don't think there is a better place to say thank you Whitney Burton Live Agent WME it's been a pleasure to have you thank you for agreeing to do this you know as I said you're someone I wanted to talk to for a minute because you know like many of our incredible young black women out there you're out there and you're doing it and you know whatever you may think honestly looking from afar you're you're inspirational so keep doing what you're doing and I wish you every success thank you for your time thank you so much Adrian I'm Adrian Sykes and this was Did You Know a Downstreet production thank you for listening our thanks to Whitney for sharing her story our thanks as ever to Danny D partner and true pioneer 
Sean Springer, to our producer Cass Denton, Ella Ruby on the socials, and Vega Brothers for our theme music. Also thanks to Dave Roberts and Tim Ingham at MBW. You can now apply to be mentored by the guests of the Did You Know podcast. Head to our website www.didyouknowpodcast.com for all the information. Did You Know is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Make sure you look out for our next episode of Did You Know, where we talk to manager and now senior vice president at Warner Music Group, Trenton Harrison Lewis, about his career in the music business. I, I tried a couple of other jobs and I just kept being drawn into music. Music was was the hobby round the jobs. And then it just became the job. It became my you know, way of taking care of my family. This was Did You Know. Until the next time.